Excellent. And thank you, Eileen, for reading that again. As you will notice, as she pointed out, Psalm 1, we're going to continue reading that the next few weeks because it really is um, kind of Jesus really weaves it into what he's speaking here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And I do have to say a shout out, uh, congratulations, Hall family and Tessa and David on your engagement, everybody. Good job. Congrats to them. And I always, I always feel like a church is really healthy if there's a lot of weddings. And um, my daughter got engaged on Thursday. So, not this one. Um, but Emma in Amarillo, Texas, got uh, engaged to a young man by the name of Shade Mashburn, really good young man. Um, and it turns out uh, his dad and I met each other at a conference 22 years ago. And uh, we kind of pieced all the pieces together and we're like, oh yeah, we kind of know each other. So there's this just small world stuff that, that is really neat to be part of. So we're super excited for Shade and Emma. And another cool announcement about that, just so everybody knows, it's one of those things, okay, get everything out of the table, it's Facebook official, so we better talk about it, um, is that Shade, her fiance, has taken a job at Ochoco Christian Camp and Conference Center. Yeah, so we're excited about that. I think the Davises are excited about that. I know he is. And so they're graduating in May, and they'll both be moving to Prineville. He'll be working up there. She'll be living at her house at least until probably September. So, yeah, big changes. And Carrie and I look at each other and go like, we're not old enough to have kids who are getting married. What happened? <laughs> Leave it to Judy Nelson. Is that? Okay. Uh, actually, Carrie and I stood right here almost 25 years ago and uh, said I do to each other. And so we're, we're really grateful. Just God has God's been really good. So. Thank you for that. Um, this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. We continue through the Sermon on the Mount. And really, as we, as we come to this passage, we have to see this as, as Jesus having given his people a gift, and that includes us. He's given us a gift, and it's his word. It's his teaching. So for three chapters uh, in our Bibles, he's been teaching and speaking about the kingdom, telling us what the kingdom of God is and and what it means to live within the kingdom, serving and following him as the king. So he gives us this gift, and it's almost like he ends, and then he says, now what are you going to do with this gift? Just like any gift that we receive, we can, we can treat it well, we can honor it, we can enjoy it, we can use it as it's supposed to be used, or we can set it up on a shelf and, and forget about it, or hide it up in the attic, or something like that, or plan to re-gift it next year, maybe at a white elephant party, or something like that. But, but we should not do that with Jesus' gift of his teaching to us. And so to, to cap off the Sermon on the Mount, after giving us this gift, he reminds us how, how high the stakes are, and he leaves us with four warnings. Last week we looked at the first warning, be sure to enter by the narrow gate. And this week we look at the second warning, and each, each warning has a different emphasis, but taken together, the big question over all four of these warnings is Jesus asking, what are you going to do with my words? What are you going to do with my words? 
Which is another way of Jesus basically asking, what are you going to do with me? So let's read this second warning together. It's just a few verses here at the end of Matthew chapter 7. And as these are the words of Jesus, I'm going to ask you to stand again with me as we read them in honor of him and in honor of his word. Matthew 7, starting at verse 15, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothes, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Again, this is the word of the Lord. And stay standing as I pray. Father, we are just grateful for your word. Jesus, we're grateful that you have given us this teaching, this gift, the gift of the kingdom and the ability to live in it and follow you. And I pray today, Jesus, that you would would speak to us through your word, that you would call our attention to what you have to say, that, that you would work in our hearts and that you would plant our roots deeply in your word, that we might be like trees planted by streams of water that bring forth our fruit in its season. And may it be fruit that honors and brings glory to you. So speak to us, we pray, Lord. Amen. All right, you may be seated now. Thank you. All right, so here's the warning that Jesus gives. It comes right off the bat in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous. Or another word there, the the CSB translation uses the word ravaging. Ravaging, ravenous wolves. And this, as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, it, it could feel like this warning comes out of nowhere because Jesus hasn't really been speaking about prophets. He, he hasn't used the word prophet. He hasn't talked about people. Uh, he used it once, I think. He hasn't talked about prophets, false or true prophets. But if you've been paying attention to Jesus, if you've been, been listening to him and watching how Matthew talks about him and what he has to say about him, you'll pick up the idea, or you should have picked it up, that Jesus is speaking here as a prophet. In other words, he's speaking with God's own authority, as one that God is speaking through. We'll see that clearly in just a few verses in verse 29 when the people notice and they they are amazed because Jesus is speaking to them as one who has authority. He is a true prophet speaking with God's own authority. And in contrast to that, now he warns us against false prophets, literally pseudo-prophets who claim to speak for God but actually don't speak for God. So here we have this first metaphor he gives us then of wolves who are wearing wool, deceptive predators that he warns us to be aware of and on guard against those who would claim, as false prophets do, to speak for God. The ravenous or ravaging wolf who who dresses up like their prey to imitate their prey and, and infiltrate They're way amongst a flock. They're insidious predators. They're enemies. Jesus Jesus isn't talking here about black sheep. 
He's not talking here about lost sheep, as he'll do elsewhere. He's not talking about goats, like he'll do in Matthew 25. He's talking about the enemy of the sheep, the enemy of God's flock. And God, from the Old Testament on, has talked about his people like they are a flock of sheep. You look at um, uh, Psalm 78, verse 52, where it says, Then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. God's people are his flock. They are the sheep of his pasture, and he himself is their shepherd. Most famously, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, he says, the Lord will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So God is this tender caring, compassionate, protective shepherd who guards and guides and oversees his flock. The the shepherd is, is one who watches out for enemies and predators, and he goes to battle with them. You remember David in the Old Testament talking about his own shepherding skills, and he said, when the wolves and the bears would come against the flock, I would go out with my bare hands and take them on and kill them and drive them away. So here we have God as the shepherd of his people, guarding his people against predators and enemies. And I'll tell you this, it's not a very very wise or smart thing to mess with God's flock, because he's the shepherd, and you don't want him coming after you. Like a good shepherd, he will protect his sheep. He will give no quarter to predators. Shepherds don't play around with wolves. They don't bring them into their bosom and coddle them like tigers. I guess we do that now. They kill them. False prophets, then, as Jesus speaks of them, are those who claim to speak for God by slipping in amongst his people into the church and seeking to fit in through deception, through through covering up, putting on clothing, putting on sheep's clothing like one of the flock and covering up their true intent, their true character, what's really inside them. So so wolves would come into the church and they may look okay, they may smell okay, they may fit right in and say all the right things, but their nature is deceptive. I've talked about this before, but for the last several years, I've, uh, I, um, I was going to say I kill bees, but actually I keep bees. Um, I try not to kill them, and they've actually made it through the winter this year, so I'm super excited. Um, so when you, when you keep any kind of animal, but especially bees, there's all sorts of pests and parasites that can threaten the health of bees. And one of them that I've read about, I've never seen one, but one that I've read about is called the wax moth. I don't know if you've ever heard of the wax moth. But usually, if something tries to come into a hive, bees, guard bees at the door will sniff it out, and they know that it doesn't fit there because it doesn't have the right pheromones. It doesn't smell right. So even other bees, they'll be able to identify and know this is not one of our colony. This is not one of our people, and they'll fight them off and and guard against them. Well, the wax moth is able somehow to get the scent of the bees onto itself and smell like a bee. So it's this huge moth. It's like eight or ten times bigger than a bee, and it'll go right in the entrance and right into the hive and just have a heyday. 
because it has covered itself and deceived its way in to, to smell, it doesn't look like a bee, but it smells to them like one of their colony. It can go in and, and eat of their stores and prey on them. So when it comes down to it with the wolf, they're, mer- they're very much like these wax moth. They, they look fine, maybe they smell fine, they fit in, but when it comes down to it, something is off. There's, their nature is deception. Their nature is predation. They blend in to gain trust and eventually to devour their prey. Jesus in John 10 speaks of these thieves who come only to kill and steal and destroy and they want to snatch the sheep and scatter them. Their character is deception and predation and we should expect them. We should expect false prophets or false teachers to deceive and because of that, Jesus is saying, have your antenna up. Have your receptors out. Do the work of discernment. Now Paul envisioned the same kind of danger when he last spoke to the elders of the Ephesian church. Before he went to his own death, he spoke to them, met him on the beach, and prayed with them. Here's what he said to them in Acts chapter 20. He said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So from outside, these fierce wolves, these false teachers will come in. They won't spare the flock. And then he goes on to say this. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So even Paul saw it. He knew this was coming. And he was telling the elders, be aware, be on your guard that outsiders wouldn't come in and be false prophets, but also be on your guard that you don't become one. And the point here really is that there are and there will be those in the church who are predators in disguise, who are motivated by their own interests rather than helping others listen to and obey King Jesus. There are and will be those in the church who are predators in disguise, motivated by their own interests rather than helping others listen to and obey King Jesus. So that's the first metaphor. Jesus actually gives us three metaphors in three verse, or five or six verses here. And that's the first metaphor. Wolves in sheep's clothing, deception and predation. His next metaphor, though, because he ends this with this call in verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruit. So, so we know that false Prophets have a certain character. It's not always obvious, but it's there. And, and these wolves are so good at deception, the question should be, okay, how do we guard against people that are good at looking good, that are good at saying the right things? How do we guard against them? How do we identify them? So Jesus says it twice in verse 16, and then again in verse 20. You will recognize them by their fruits. Chad. Do sheep bear fruit? No. <laughs> they have lambs, right? They bear lambs. They don't bear fruit. So the question, okay, if they're, if they're sheep and wolves don't bear fruit, sheep don't bear fruit, so how do we know? So Jesus 
switches the metaphor on us now, to conf- not to confuse us, but to clarify. He changes metaphors to draw out this meaning of bearing. What does it mean to bear fruit? And the first is the metaphor of the wrong tree. The metaphor of the wrong tree that bears no fruit. It's in, math, in verse 16, the last half of the verse. He says, Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Obviously, this is a, this is a rhetorical question. It's a question that the answer is so obvious that you don't really need to answer. What is the answer? No. You don't go out and gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Of course not. Now, I'll be honest with you. Carrie and I live on a little acre, a little acre farm. And Carrie and I are people that we've discovered in the last few years that we are people who really like the idea of farming. (laughs) Which is popular these days. Chad's one that actually farms, actually raises lambs, knows what to do. Um, We like the idea of farming. We're just not very good at it. So things come to our farm to die. Um, We actually just got two goats. Don't ask. Well, I'll tell you why we got goats here in a minute. Uh, So we live on just a little under an acre. and, And honestly, one of the most stressful parts of my summer is trying to manage what grows in my pasture. And it's mostly thistles. So now you know why I got goats. Okay, But I'm not a bad enough farmer to think that I can go out one morning in early autumn with my basket and think I'm going to come back with a harvest of apples when I go and visit my thistle patch. Okay, Not a bad enough farmer to think that. That would be ridiculous, right? Only a, only a fool would try to harvest anything but pain from thistles, scratches and pokes and all those things from thorn bushes. But in contrast, a wise and seasoned farmer knows when and where to look for the fruit. They're not, they're not foolish, foolish enough to look for grapes on thorn bushes. They're not foolish enough to look for figs on thistles. A fruit farmer may be able even to look at a tree before it has any fruit on it. No, that's an apple tree. That's an orange tree. That's a pear tree. That's a pine tree. I have that one down, by the way. But when, but when there's a tree full of apples... Nearly anyone can look at it and say, that's not an orange tree. Or if another tree is weighed down with oranges, we know that we're not dealing with an oak. That's Jesus' simple point here, that the wrong tree bears no fruit. A thistle, a thorn bush, you're not going to find any fruit on them. So those who claim to speak for God, these prophets... Those who claim to speak for God but whose lives bear no fruit are likely not actually connected with King Jesus at all. They're not the right kind of tree. They're not a tree that is connected to the king of the kingdom. Those who claim to speak for God but whose lives bear no fruit are likely not actually connected with King Jesus. So Jesus moves on, though, from there the wrong tree, to a metaphor now about a sick tree. A sick tree that bears bad fruit. Whereas the first image, the the image of, of thorn bushes and thistles, focus really on the kind of plant and its fruit or lack of fruit. The second metaphor focuses on the quality of the tree and the quality of its fruit. So we have the kind 
and the quality. So Jesus describes this tree as a healthy tree. And the, the word here for healthy can mean good or useful or productive. It's, it's a tree that you're going to get a crop from every single year. This kind of tree bears good fruit. And that word there means something like worthy or beautiful, top quality, delicious, grade A fruit. That's the kind of fruit put forth by this healthy tree. So we could say something like a healthy tree produces good, delicious, quality fruit. On the other hand, Jesus gives us this diseased tree. And the word, the word here denotes a poor quality tree, a useless tree, an unhealthy tree, even, even a rotten tree. So he, so he gives us a tree which, which we know the roots go deep and they bring in water and, and nutrients and they get enough sun and they've been pruned and taken care of and they're protected from pests and they're, they're producing good fruit. And this other tree is diseased. Maybe its roots are wilted or it has some kind of pest or, or rot within it. It is sick to the roots, and this kind of tree produces bad fruits, worthless fruit, inedible fruit. This word here is actually used all over, all over the New Testament as the word evil, produces evil fruit. So we could say an unhealthy tree produces worthless, inedible fruit. So here's Jesus' third point. The quality of a person's fruit is the direct result of the quality of the person's heart posture towards King Jesus. Because really Jesus here is talking about something internal, something that can't be seen. We can't see the tree's roots. We could maybe tap into it and find some things out about it, but really we find out how healthy the tree is by how much it bears, how much and how good the fruit is it puts off. And so here Jesus is really saying that your fruit is the direct result of how well you know me, how connected you are with me, how deeply your roots go into me. So the call is really then from Jesus, a call for discernment. So let me go back over those first three points because I know you're all writing them down. And just real quickly summarize them, put them out there before you. So we're like, okay, here's what Jesus is saying. There are and will be those in the church who are predators in disguise, motivated by their own interests rather than helping others listen to and obey King Jesus. And of these same people, those who claim to speak for God but whose lives bear no fruit are likely not actually connected with King Jesus because the quality of a person's fruit is the direct result of the quality of that person's heart posture towards King Jesus. Jesus says you can't tell a false prophet necessarily by looking at their appearance. You might just see wool. You might see a, a great churchgoer, a really great Christian person. You can't tell them by looking at their appearance, but at their effect. How do they Produce What do they produce, good fruit or bad fruit? So the call then is a call to discernment. And, and when I say discernment, I, do, I don't mean that we go on the warpath hunting for false teachers. And anybody that says anything is going to get critiqued hard. What I'm talking about is discernment to carefully, lovingly, wisely evaluate the fruit of those who claim to speak for God because the fruit of their lives will speak louder than their words. So what are we looking for? What 
fruit then is Jesus speaking of and how do we evaluate it? And for help here, I'm going to take us to the Old Testament in which true prophets were identified by three things. One of the things they were identified as a prophet, if they were to foretell the future, that basically Moses said, if, if what they say comes to pass, then they could be a true prophet. If what they say doesn't come to pass, you don't need to listen to them. They're not true prophets. Secondly, true prophets in Deuteronomy 13.5 are identified by their devotion to Yahweh. So, so Moses says, a prophet could predict something and it comes true, that's great. But if they then tell you, okay, let's go after other gods, then don't listen to them. Don't have anything to do with them. In fact, take them out back and stone them because they're drawing you away from the true God. And then the third test in the Old Testament for the truthfulness of a prophet was really the quality and the purity of their lives. We see that in, you can see that in Jeremiah chapter 23. Are their lives producing good moral fruit? And these, these categories were picked up and used by the church and have been really for two millennia. One of my Bible professors calls them the two tests, the doctrinal test and the ethical test. So we're going to handle each of those for a few minutes here. And first, the doctrinal test. When I say doctrine, that's just a big fancy word for biblical truth. It's, it's another way of saying this is what the Bible teaches doctrine. In the Old Testament, false prophets were obvious because they would call people away from worshiping Yahweh, the true God of Israel. And today, false prophets will seek to draw people away from the teachings of Jesus, from the, the narrow gate and the rugged path of discipleship to Jesus, and lure them towards the wide gate and the smooth path that leads where? to destruction, right? We saw that in verses 13 and 14. And they do this, they, they seek to lead people to the wide and smooth path by setting Jesus' words aside, maybe explaining his, his words away or changing them in subtle ways. Some false teachers will come and say that obedience to Jesus is just legalistic and impractical in today's world. And, and by the way, God is a God of love, and he doesn't really hold you to any ethical standard. Following and being devoted to the gospel, they might say, is outdated. It's irrelevant in our culture. It doesn't make sense to young people. They'll, they'll question the truthfulness of Jesus' words. They'll question the truthfulness of the Bible. And they'll question its inerrancy, its infallibility, and they'll set up alternative authorities, either over the Bible or next to the Bible, other voices that we should listen to. Today in the church, false prophets or teachers might look like teachers or leaders, or the buzzword now is influencers, who question and abandon the core truths of the gospel. They'll move away from Christ Jesus as central to salvation, as central to our life of discipleship, as central to our eternal future. And they will, as, as early 20th century theologian Richard Niebuhr summarized, they'll give us a false gospel that's something like this. A God without wrath, who brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. 
That's what they will offer to us. An easy road, a smooth road, but a road that leads nowhere but destruction. False teaching might also look like making certain non-biblical, non-gospel values central to what it means to be a Christian, and then baptizing them with religious lingo or using proof texts to, to put their truth forward. It might look in some, in some places like the prosperity gospel. If you do enough for God, he's going to reward you. Name it and claim it. Making following Jesus easy and convenient and comfortable rather than calling for loyalty to King Jesus alone, which is often not comfortable and will cost us our lives. On the other hand, false prophets may bring a message that looks like asking more of us than Jesus ever has. It might look like requiring certain kinds of work or certain kinds of behavior and a list, a long list of demands and burdening true believers with these extra requirements. So, so there's a big slew, there's a large, a, a large uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Variety. I think that's a good word. I was thinking spectrum, but that, anyway, that carries connotations. There's a large variety of ways that false teachers and false prophets can lead us astray. So it's important for us to have our antenna up. But no matter what form it comes in, false teachers will bend and they will twist true gospel doctrine and seek to lead people away from Jesus' words and onto this wide, smooth way of destruction. And the fruit that you will see from them when they do this is you will see people abandoning the gospel. You will see Christians and churchgoers abandoning the church, the local church. And eventually you'll see them abandoning Jesus altogether. That's the fruit from this doctrinal test. The ethical test has to do with right behavior. That's what ethics is. It has to do with right behavior, how you act, your morality. And the point of the ethical test is really to discern the alignment of a person's life with Jesus' teaching. We could, and again, we have to do discernment with charity and with wisdom. We could ask of this person, is this someone whose life is consistently marked by a love for God and a love for others that isn't just lip service, isn't just empty words, but whose love is actually evident in their life and relationships? Is that what I see in this person? Or alternatively, is this someone who, who regularly leaves destruction and division and strife and pain and broken relationships in their wake wherever they go? Is that what you see behind them as broken relationships and division, or is it people who have been loved? It might look like a leader or a teacher who abuses power or who elevates themselves above everyone else seeking followers for themselves or demanding loyalty to themselves or enriching themselves at the expense of the flock. It might simply look like a person who comes in and sows disagreement or division within the church, who's always stirring up controversy or seeking to create schism. 
It could look like someone who jumps from church to church or fellowship to fellowship, never really able to land in one place for very long because the longer they stay, the more people notice how bad the fruit stings. Many false teachers and prophets are accessed, though, through social media, through the internet, through YouTube, or maybe if you're old-fashioned, through the TV or the radio. You kids, ask your parents what those things are. <laughs> but many false teachers and prophets are, are barely testable in this way. We can't really test them because, guess what? We don't know them. We don't get to see their lives. We don't get to see how they interact with other people. So that's one of the things that grieves me about people, about brothers and sisters who step away from the church and are okay saying, hey, I'm great watching so-and-so on Sunday morning. That's my church. And the question I want to ask is, first off, okay, when something happens to you, who's going to shepherd you? Who's going to come alongside and care for you? And how are you going to see this person who you don't even know? Do they, are they going to love you when your life is in shambles? And are you going to be able to test their fruit if you never see them except when they're all glitzy and glamorous on a Sunday morning on a stage online? And I realize we're live streaming right now, so <laughs> forgive me. The point is get to church, people. All right, so just enough of that little aside there. Turn off your Facebook, folks. And the last thing I want to say here is, is that this kind of testing takes time. Because fruit takes time to grow and to be noticed. Another example of how bad of a farmer I am, I had an apple tree that was given to me when we moved into our home 10 years ago, and it has yet to bear fruit. And that's my fault. <laughs> I'm not a very good farmer, but I'm hoping in the next couple of years we'll get some fruit. So because this discernment takes time, fruit takes time to grow, it takes time to be noticed. And as such, genuine discernment of these false prophets Jesus is speaking of will often take time, will take great care and attentiveness. And the main thing we need to remember is that love, wisdom, and discernment are key. And so that really is Jesus' call is discernment. And so I'll just give you three pieces of application that we'd walk out with today. And the first is just simply that. Use discernment. We must all use discernment because Jesus has warned us that false prophets will come amongst us to lure us away from following him. So we must be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. And you might ask yourself the question, okay, am I someone who's easily gullible? That's not a rhetorical question. But that is a question that we're all going to answer no to right away, but I would ask you to consider that. Do I tend to believe people? Do I tend to trust people? Am I someone who's easily gullible, who likes to have my ears tickled by the latest and the trendiest things? The Galatian church was one such church, and, and Paul the apostle wrote to them, and he says, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you. You're turning to a different gospel. Not, not that there is another gospel, but some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And then he says this, 
But even if an angel from heaven or we ourselves should come and preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we already preached to you, let him be cursed, which is another way of saying, let him go to hell. The words are that strong. And so the question, and he says it twice, by the way, the question with us, us is, do I have my discerning antenna up for truth that aligns with God's word? In today's day and age, we are drawn to charismatic, interesting, personable, dynamic teachers and leaders. But in John 10, Jesus tells us that his sheep hear his voice. And his sheep listen to him. And they follow him. They won't follow a thief. They won't follow a robber. So the question is, who are you listening to? The voice of the shepherd or the voice of wolves? And the first defense against being taken in by false teachers is to pay close attention to the truth. You will not know what a counterfeit is unless you know what the real thing is. And Psalm 1 calls us to be planted by streams of water, to love and meditate on God's word, to soak it in, to be people who are planted in King Jesus and in his words. Jeremiah 17 says the same thing. And it's by focusing, both of these, both of these scriptures say that it's by focusing on the roots that we will bear forth good fruit. When we focus on the root, by planting ourselves deeply in God's words and trusting in Jesus, then we will bear good fruits. So the diagnosis should be, are you actively discerning or do you like to have your ears tickled? And the prescription for all of us is let's plant our roots deeply into Jesus and into his word. The second takeaway here is this, simply wolves be warned. Jesus gives a pretty stiff warning here to the false prophets in verse 19. He says, a healthy tree, excuse me, verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So this second warning is really for, for wolves themselves, that unless you repent, if you're a wolf, unless you repent, you will end up on God's burn pile. Not a happy place, but you saw that fire. It's not a happy, great place to be. Good shepherds don't coddle wolves. They kill them. And one responsibility of an elders of a church, of this church, is to, for us to be on guard against false prophets and, and false teachers, to do merciless battle with wolves for the sake of the flock. So if you're a wolf, if you are a wolf... Hear this. Leave now. Please. Because I don't want to have to do battle with you. But all of us elders would stand up here and we say, we will, though, for the good of the flock. But it's not just wolves that I need to warn against, but the wolfish tendencies within all of our hearts. We all have a tendency to go our own way, we often, with our words or our lives, we can influence others to follow us. So again, the question, whose words are you listening to and obeying? 
And then I want to end again with hope and a promise to look to Jesus. Because in a world full of false prophets, Jesus is the true prophet. In a world full of bad shepherds, Jesus is the good shepherd. And in a world full of rotten trees and bad fruit, Jesus is the true vine. And as the true prophet, Jesus gives us the true words of God. And as the good shepherd, Jesus gives us protection and rest and care and sustenance for our souls. And as the true vine, Jesus gives us, his people, the power to bear good fruit. So in all things, brothers and sisters, this morning, in all things, let's look to Jesus. Will you pray with me now as we look to him? Jesus, we are grateful for you. We're grateful that you are the true prophet. You've given us your word. You've given us your truth. You've given us these scriptures to, to draw us back again as we all so often wander, prone to wander as we are. Lord, draw us back again to your truth, your word, who you are. Jesus, may we, may we know you in all your fullness, and all your glory, and all your goodness. Jesus, we're grateful that you are the good shepherd that takes, up, it takes us up in your arms and carries us close to you, who never leaves us nor forsakes us, who comes after us when we wander away, and who protects us from the wolves who want to devour us. So Lord, my prayer as our shepherd is that you would protect this body, this church, from ravenous and ravaging wolves, to protect us from false teaching and false doctrine, that you would, would protect our ears from, from gullibly listening to the latest fads and the newest teachings. But would we be a people who are anchored in you and in your word? And lastly, Jesus, we're grateful that you are the true vine. Your father is the vine dresser and every branch you say that remains in you will bear much fruit. So Jesus, may we abide in you and would you bear your fruit through us to the glory of your name.